a, a magician or whether you'd found something that gave you that that kind of attention <laughs> do you know what jackie i was wow this this is going to go into therapy now um i was a really scared kid I was... welcome to power to speak the podcast I'm Jackie Goddard, and it's my mission to make entrepreneurs, leaders, and speakers excited about sharing their business ideas, to watch them transform from fearful to fearless in front of their audience. Power to Speak, the podcast, is aimed at those aspiring to be leaders, entrepreneurs, and speakers, giving them the opportunity to learn from those that have been there, seen that, and got the t-shirt. I discuss with them how they've used their creativity, curiosity, and humility to create their success. So welcome everybody to Power to Speak, the podcast. And my guest today, I'm so excited, is Paul Newton. Yay! Don't, don't get too excited. Paul. They'll expect a level of expertise <laughs> and I, I'm worried I won't be there. And they should. They should. Um, so Paul, magician, mind reader and thief. Yes. Why yeah. would you want to be introduced in that way? Tell us a little bit about all of that. <laughs> do, do you know what? My my life has become very, very weird in the last few years. And even before those few years, I was, I'm, I'm a magician. I'm an entertainer. I love what I get to do. I get to make people laugh. I get to make people happy. I get them to believe that magic's possible again. And then I kind of fell into this world of cybersecurity. Because if you think about it, Jackie, if I'm a mind reader, then what information can I steal off of you? And maybe I can nick your passwords. Maybe I can nick your usernames for things. Maybe I can nick your PIN number for your credit card. If I start doing that kind of stuff, what damage can I do to you or your business without you even realizing that I'm in your systems? Um, and, and to be honest with you, it's now, it's now about three and a half years ago I was doing a gig for the military. I was doing magic and I was doing close-up stuff and I was messing about. And this one guy just annoyed me. This one guy at the table really annoyed me. He was one of the worst type of hecklers you can get. And I remember thinking to myself, right, I'm going to have you. And I started doing some mind reading on him while I was doing close-up magic. And I did it. I stole his username, his password, his PIN number, his mother's maiden name, his first pet dog's name, and the name of the road he grew up on. And I wrote them all down on a bit of card. And at the end of my session at that table, I went, look, you know, magic's not real. You know, mind reading's not real. How did I do with this lot? And I gave him the card and and he swore at me a lot. He, he said that I was 100% correct. He swore at me a lot. I walked away from the table and then he chased me and he grabbed me and he said, I need to have a word. Um, and, and he said, is mind reading real? Now, this is the moment when if a kid comes up to me and says, is Santa real? The answer is always yes. OK, but this this officer of the military is now scared of a mind reader. And we had a chat and he believes mind reading is 100 percent real now. And then he said to me, you know, if you did that to three select people in the room, just think of the damage you could do to the military. And that was it. I started thinking about it and I started thinking, what can I do to businesses in, you know, just in the English speaking world? Because I don't speak any other languages. And then all of a sudden I realized that people need to care about security, but they don't want to listen to IT geeks that really know their stuff. So I now get up on stage. I steal stuff from people in the room and I point out ways that I break into buildings and companies all over the world. Um, 
as a speaker and an entertainer, I love it. I love it. Just th those moments in their faces of what the bleep just happened. <laughs> and and then I teach them how to stop it. And then I give them a reason to talk to their IT teams who know how to protect them. Um, so, yeah, don't come to me about IT. Don't ask me about your computers because I know nothing about them. But I'm the reason businesses are taking their IT gurus seriously. And and may I seriously, like I said to you, I've fallen into this and I'm absolutely loving the journey at the moment. Yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, what a journey. We will we'll go back on the journey. But I just want to go go into what, what you've just said there. You're saying maybe I could take your I could find out your pin number. Maybe. But actually, you can. Yeah. I mean, there's no maybe about it. You can do that. But what yeah. what intrigues me is the connection between magic and mind reading. You know, yeah. I've watched you uh, on, on some videos I've never seen. In fact, we've never met in person, have we? No, because we only started getting to really know each other when lockdown was happening. Yes. So we've we've only met online. Which is strange because I feel like I feel I do feel like I know <laughs> you, which is bizarre. I think we might have actually thinking about it now back at Chute and Glen back in back pre lockdown. I think we were at a, an only network in a room oh, together. Yeah. Oh, you're talking I about the place that does really nice salmon. Yes. 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 I, don't I, I know where you're now. about. But it's you know I've watched a couple of your magic. Uh, tricks on yep. on youtube and uh, on your website and incredible what you can do close up i mean literally in people's faces but i do yeah. wonder is, is so is there something in in the what you learn as a magician that you learn then then you then take into that sort of mind reading side is there there must very be very much so yeah very much so so when you start out as a magician well actually no i'll say my journey i started with a paul daniels magic set where you get taught how to make a ball disappear in a cup or where you get taught a couple of card tricks or, you know, the sponge ball routine where sponge balls are disappearing and reappearing all over the place. That's where most people start. That's where I started. But then you get to, I can remember I got to a level where most adults would watch this child pull and he would freak them out and they would be watching and just uh, amazed and don't know what to say, do or think. And I got to a point where another magician saw me and he said, you've got something there. You're, you're really good. I'll teach you a couple of tricks. And I'm perfect. Thanks. I want to know how to do the levitation thing across stage. And he went, no, no, no. We'll teach you lower level stuff. And once you can perform it well, you come back to me and you perform it to me. And if you do it well, then I'll teach you the next level stuff. And that's how he and I worked together for quite a while. And he was teaching me like two things at a time, making things a bit harder, making it. And really, what I realized he was doing now was he was weeding out people who just wanted to know the secrets and people that actually wanted to put the work in. Right. And I turned into one of the people that wanted to put the work in and prove myself. Um, and actually, Jackie, now I do the same myself. If somebody comes up to me at a gig and says, oh, I really want to be a magician, can you teach me how? I'll go, whoa, there's trick number one. I'll teach you trick number one, okay? I'm not going to teach you anything else. Don't ask for anything else. I'm going to teach you trick number one. If you come back to me in a few weeks and you perform trick number one really well, I'll teach you trick number two. And it's amazing. I've had, my word, now I've probably had over a 1,000 people learn trick number one. I've probably had about 100 people come back for trick number two. I've probably had about 30 people come back for trick number three. Trick number four, 
I think we're at four people. Yeah. And all four of those people are now professional magicians. Yeah. So for me, the way I was taught worked. And when I got to a certain level, that magician then said, right, you now need to meet other magicians. And that's when it got really interesting because all of a sudden I've gone from doing card tricks to you could do mind reading, you could do sleight of hand, you could be a card sharp, you could just concentrate on coins, you could just go into elastic band magic. There's so many choices. You could do illusions, you could go on stage, you could do big mind reading. And for me, the thing that interested me the most is when you see a trick happen within somebody's own head. If you, if I get somebody to, to, I'm not going to do this on people that are listening because there's probably too many, it won't work on all of them, but let's just say I, I made them think of a bicycle, okay? And they write down the word bicycle and they might even write down red underneath it because they're thinking of a red bicycle. If I get them to think of that themselves and they write it down so I've got proof as to what they think and then I just look at them and go, okay, I think you went back to your childhood, I think you went for a bike, I'm going to go for a BMX bike and I think it's painted red. When you nail something that they've got, they're just looking around going, but nobody else knows that. And then to prove it to the audience, you go, can you open up the bit of paper that you wrote it on? And they just open it up and it says bicycle red. It's just amazing watching yeah. people just go, this is actually possible. How the hell did he do that? Um, yeah. So for me, the mind reading stuff really started when I was a late teenager. I just love it. I just think it takes magic to a whole different level. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love illusionists as well. I love watching them. And whilst I know I'm at a point in my career where I can find out how any trick in the world works, there's certain illusion tricks that I never want to know. Because to me, they're magic. That That's the only explanation. They must be real magic. <laughs> I love that. I love that there are there's there's still illusions out there that even you can't fathom, can't work yep. out. Yep, I've got buddies that are some of the best illusionists in the world. I'll go see their show, and you know, afterwards I'll go, I've got to show you how this works because I'm so excited. And I'm like, no, 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 that one was magic. I'm happy with how I watched it. I don't want to know. Um, and it'll be something amazingly clever or something ridiculously simple that I didn't see. Um, but I want, I, I still want to be that kid who yeah. goes, magic's real. Yeah. I mean, it is there, is it? A lot of it, I mean, they're called illusions for a reason, but I suppose, is there, is there actually something in our brains that makes makes it work? You know, it's not not just, it's yeah. not just all about you, Paul. Is it is it actually something in the person that you are performing to? Something that happens really, in the yes, brain? There really is. And our brains are amazing and wonderful things, but we, we love to guess at the gaps, okay? So in between the moment when I'm holding the card and it's backs towards you and I turn it around and prove it's a six of hearts or whatever it is and then I turn it back again. And if in that moment I can then switch that card to a queen of spades, I can say to you, what's the card? And you'll go, it's a six of hearts. Well, actually, I've got the queen of spades. Now in your head, you're just like, but that was definitely, it was, there's, there's no way that could have changed. But there's got to be. Me and you know there's got to be, but your brain will jump at it's magic and it's real magic because I watched mm. him the whole time. Um, there, there's, I don't want to kill any of the tricks that I do for anyone that's ever watched me, but there's times that I can make you look up here because I'm doing something and I'm waving that hand and flat. And then actually video is a great idea because whilst you can see that hand there, you know, I've got a left hand, 
but I'm making you look up here, so you're definitely and and that you don't know if I've just changed the whole deck of cards with my left hand while me and you were both looking at this hand doing something stupid. Yeah, you know, I've just trained myself that with my left hand I can take another deck of cards out of my pocket, put it on the table, take the one away that we were using earlier, and all of those ones are the Queen of Spades or something silly like that. But in your head, there was no time to do that because we yeah. were engaged and constantly talking. There was no way Paul could have cheated. Um, and yeah, realistically, I'm a professional cheat and liar. And um, thief. And thief. And <laughs> and my job is to scare the bejesus out of people so hopefully they'll do something productive. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's it's an amazing journey to have got to this. So let's go back to Paul Daniels. How yeah. old were you when you got your Paul Daniels set? I think I was about six. It's hard to check. Um, so my my family were very traditional. My mum stayed at home and looked after me and my brother until we were at an age that we could fend for ourselves. And my dad was out a lot, in his own business, working to pay the bills. Um, so that meant that mum made loads of the choices. And, and unfortunately, my mum passed nearly 11 years ago now. And... If she was still here, I know that I could go, how old was I when I started doing magic? And she'd go, you were six and three quarters or something like that. But I'm I'm almost certain that it was around six or seven years old that they gave me a Paul Daniels magic set. And I can still remember doing some of the tricks that were in there and watching my parents' friends just be stunned. And, and you know what it's like? If, when you get a kid come up and go, I'm going to sing the best song ever and I want you to hear it. And you always do the, yeah, that'll be nice. That'll be nice. That'll be lovely. Because you have to. Okay, we just have, We're nice. We're British. We're going to say this is lovely. And you would see adults go, oh, Paul's going to do it. Little Paul's going to do a magic trick. That'll be nice. And they're all getting ready to say how good it is when it might have been rubbish. Okay. <laughs> and then you do the trick and you just see a group of adults go, what? <laughs> what how did what and there's my parents going we know we we know we we don't know how he did it either it's um and he's not telling us because in the book that paul daniels said in there you're not allowed to teach people so he's not telling us a thing um and just that moment of being able to make grown adults laugh and act shocked from doing a card trick or from making something disappear up a sleeve somewhere that's an amazing yeah. feeling. Um, yeah. I know I you've done stage stuff. I know you've been on stage. That moment when the audience goes, <gasps> well, that's that's what I'm wondering whether it whether at that point in your life, aged six and three quarters, whether you wanted to be a, ma a magician or whether you'd found something that gave you that that kind of attention. <laughs> Do you know what, Jackie? I was. Wow, this is, this is going to go into therapy now. Um, I was a really scared kid. I was a really shy and a really, really scared kid, like, all the time. Um, I can I, I remember being told that we, I went to school once, uh, one of the first days at school, and I'd hide, try and hide behind my mum because I didn't want to go in. And I kicked off a fight because I didn't want to go in. Why would I want to meet all these people? I don't want to be known by these people. You compare that to the guy that you've seen who jumps up on stage in front of thousands of people without a care in the world. The truth is going into theater groups, getting into magic gave me a level of confidence where I didn't have to believe in Paul Newton anymore. 
because I could hide behind the trick or I could hide behind the character. If I was acting in something, they're not looking at Paul Newton. They're looking at Bob, who, you know, the guy who's going to sing and dance and has these lines and the director has shaped what that person's going to do. So, so for a long time, I hid behind the magician and the character. And I think there was a switch when I was in, in mid-teens when I started to realize that you don't have to always stick to the script. You can change things around a bit. That changed the magic stuff as well, because I'd been literally reading a book and learning the patter from the magician that made the trick and doing it almost word for word. And then I was doing, where was I? I can remember the director. I, I remember the director's name, Donovan. He was a real big, booming character. And he'd literally, one day he threatened to take my eyeballs out with a spoon if I <laughs> messed up the lines. And he was just one of those overpowering, he was amazing. But he realized that there was something different in Paul Newton. And he turned around to me in one day and he said, you're great at acting. He goes, you're brilliant. He goes, you're a director's dream because you'll listen and you'll take it in and you'll do what we ask. He said, but that's, I don't believe that's where you're destined. He said, you don't need a script. You, you need to step out from behind the script and just show people the stuff you can do. He goes, I've seen you entertaining other kids with magic tricks. Why aren't you getting paid for that already? And there was just a bit of a moment of, hold on, I could earn money from doing something I love and I don't have to learn a script and I could be a bit more me. Um, and yeah, if I ever find where Donovan Carey is working, I'm going to turn up at one of his shows <laughs> and just give him some grief because I think I'm allowed to. Um, but yeah, I'd love to find him again. I'd love yeah. to. I mean, youth, I mean, I spent a lot of time teaching. Do you know, I never went to a youth theatre when I was... No way! Up. No, they just weren't... I mean, they they were too far away from... My dad worked away a lot. My mum drove, but, you know, she, uh, yeah, she didn't drive very far. Um, and so I I just never got the opportunity, I suppose. It was ne there wasn't one on the doorstep. Um, yeah. I did some drama at school, but I used to make stuff up with my friends in the playground. That was, that was my thing. And then we'd perform it on a Friday afternoon in the classroom. Um, nice. But obviously, once I started acting myself... And I got into teaching kids. I was, I, you know, I'd spent quite a lot of time working in youth theatres. And to see kids blossom like they do, if you give them the right opportunity, if you kind yeah. of, if you can tame the loud ones that, that, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me, and kind of bring the ones that are, are stuck against the wall and don't want to get, you know, if you can kind of bring them together to make them realise that actually if they work together, then it's a really supportive atmosphere. Then they get, everybody gets to shine. You know, it's that, yeah. it's that kind of thing. So which which were you? It sounds like you were maybe one of the ones that were stuck against the wall for a while. Yeah, I was. I remember I, I was... I'd kind of stay hidden, and especially if there was dancing involved. If it was group dancing, I'd try and be behind someone. Um, because even, even back then, I wasn't the best. I, I had choreographers who'd tell me I was lying and that they knew that they could push me. But, oh, this is going to be bad. The first time I went for a, a main part, um, I was definitely not over the age of 18, but I seem to remember being a little bit squiffy from drinking some ciders or something. 
um and i went into this theater group and then they said oh we're, we're auditioning for this but i think it was joseph actually we're auditioning for this part and so one of my mates went go on paul and kind of pushed me a bit and i went all right and, and just got up sung the main song acted like and because just that little bit of inhibition was gone i got the main part and i remember the the director of that show going where did that come from and all of my mates going that was amazing why have you been hiding that um and yeah just because a silly teenager had had a drink before he went in there <laughs> i ended up starting getting main parts yeah um, i'm not gonna, i'm not going to advocate that i'm not going to you know no oh my <laughs> word no but jackie i look back at some of the stuff that i did as a late teenager and early 20s and i think wow i'm impressed i'm alive mm. oh um, no I'm, me the same actually mate i'm so glad we didn't have video cameras back then mm. oh god yeah social media nightmare nope. No, 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 that would have been very bad, I think. No, no, no. <laughs> so when did you step out from sort of the youth theatre and start actually going for professional auditions? It was a gradual thing. And it happened because there were two youth theatres that I was that I was into a lot. And being in two different youth theatres, you'd get conflict of timings and schedules. And sometimes you'd have shows trying to be on at the same time. I remember one time I had a main part in both youth theatres and the show was on one week for one of them and the following week for the other one. So I had to learn two parts fully and for the last main rehearsals of the second show I couldn't be there because I was on stage. Um, but it was each director that I met and each choreographer that I met, I started networking back then. And, you know, you'd then have a director go, well, I'm working on a production and and they need somebody of exactly your type and i think you could do this and they'd put me forward to auditions and and it was weird as well jackie because I, I i don't know if you've done this if you pick up the stage newspaper and you go to an open audition and you you queue up and there's like 200 people in front of you that look exactly the same as you and there's 200 people behind you that look exactly the same as you and i remember doing loads of them and it was so it was so soul destroying because they'd, they'd look at you and go, oh, yeah, but your nose is not quite crooked enough. And that's the reason you didn't get it. And then there was other auditions where somebody had shoehorned me in and they were part of the production team. And then you'd walk on stage for them and you'd hear them going, here he is, here he is. This is the one I know from, you know, 20 seats back in the whatever the venue they're using. And you'd do your thing and you'd see the rest of that person's team go, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I learned even back then, a lot of the time, it's not just about proving you. It's about who you know and the fact that because they, someone knows you, their ears prick up a little bit more. Yeah. So, so horribly, the guy who was on just before me in those auditions possibly didn't get listened to as well as they should have because my buddy's up there going, Paul, Newton, Paul Newton's on next. He's the one I want you to listen to. So yeah. they're dis they're distracted from this guy that could have been amazing. Yeah, it's it's it is an awful business for that. It really is um, because yeah. you know, it, it it can it can really turn on a, a on just a, a penny. It doesn't it doesn't matter how fantastic you are if you if somebody as you exactly as you say it's somebody before you knows somebody who knows somebody, you know. And know, um, yeah, 
One of my buddies, brilliant actor, brilliant stuntman. I love him to bits, and he's he gets some really good work in Hollywood stuff. Okay, um, he looks like a thug, and he's got a broken nose. And he went to this audition, didn't get it because he had a broken nose. Then he saw the part in the film, and they gave the guy a fake broken nose. Go <laughs> figure. Yeah. No, but it is. It is, it is that kind of thing of a uh, few you know. And and networking is is amazing for that. Is is something that you need to do. You know. And I talk to people, young people especially, about you know getting into whatever business they're getting into. It is network. It is about networking, but it's also just about making yourself valuable. You know, making yourself. A, a, you know presentable reliable all of those things that we all kind of go oh no I don't want to do that's you know I want to be more exciting than that but actually you know it pays to be nice it pays to talk to people to turn up on time you know and and the more you can ingratiate yourself to other people and you know and a lot of that is to do with sort of the networking space and not being afraid to kind of be yourself no I'm I'm even now it pays back, Jackie, because I, when I was in youth theatres, I had a massive interest in the technical side as well. So I used to help the tech side in the, the, the venues I was in. And I got employed to be a stage technician, a lighting technician, a sound technician, because I was nice and I enjoyed it. Mm. Now that pays me back an absolute fortune now. Because I turn up to do keynote talks at, um, where was I last? Excel. I was in Excel in London. Turn up to do a keynote talk there. You go in, the technician, there's a look in technician's eyes when they go, oh, here they are. I wonder if this one's going to be a diva. Oh, okay, what are we working with now? And I turn up and go, hello, I'm Paul. How are you doing? And they go, oh, he actually spoke to me in a decent way. And then I go, right, what do you need from me? And they go, um, we're meant to see what you need from us. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to jump on stage and do what I know I can do. So what do you as a technician need to know from me to make sure we get the best show possible? And they go, oh, oh, okay. And all of a sudden, you've got this technician on your side. Yeah. They, they know that you get it. They know that you understand. They are there for 18-hour days trying to make you look good. Yeah. And if you come up and act like an absolute idiot, I had lots of other words go through my head. <laughs> I don't want to say anything. And and I've walked away from talks and shows where technicians have forgotten to turn the lights off at the end because they were enjoying the show so much. Yeah, yeah. And that's when I think, did it, nailed it. That was a good yeah. one. If, if if the professional technician is watching so intently, he's gone, I forgot I was working. Hold on, what yeah. just happened? And I find that funny. I love that. Yeah. You know, um, if you can get if you can get your technicians on your side, absolutely. But I mean, it's more difficult. I know from um, from working backstage myself, but also being on stage, is that obviously nerves can make you very uh, ang well, obviously anxious, but a, a little bit arsy sometimes. Yeah, uh, angsty. Um, yeah. And I've I've certainly dealt with with actors like that when I was working backstage, um, but also I've been in that position, and it. It's so it's it's not so bad when you're in a production that is ongoing because you're going to be working with those technicians day in yeah, day. You've done the like real you. with them. Yes, they'll go along with you. But if yeah. you're walking onto the stage for the first time as a keynote, you don't have that opportunity, do you? So I would imagine there are people that turn up to a keynote and are very nervous, and yeah. obviously 
turn the the technicians against them almost immediately. Yeah, and and you do see it, and I know you've seen people do exactly that. Um, but you know what? It's all a state of mind, isn't it? It's all it, we choose what we do. Mm. At, at the end of the day, we we make those choices. Um, you know, right now you don't know there there could be personal things going on in my life that that I would have reason to sit here and sulk and mug. Okay, but you've taken the time out to a ask me to do this show. Give me a way to promote myself to the people that are following you. And if I was to turn up and give anything less than a hundred percent, I don't think that's fair. No. And and actually, we can use this show as a great example. We were meant to record this earlier than we have done. Okay. And I messaged you saying I feel rough. I I'm really sorry. I feel rough. If you need, if this is the only time we can record, I can be there. But I feel rough, and I know it. And you just replied with, "No, we'll reschedule. We'll reschedule." And I think part of that is because you know, I wouldn't have even messaged you if I thought I could do this. But can you imagine if I turned up and only gave your listeners eighty percent? Yes. Yeah. I'd no. be so annoyed with myself. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, no. Thank you for rearranging it. It was. Um, and and to anyone listening, sorry this wasn't out earlier. I don't know how the schedule worked. That might have been my fault. I apologize. Uh, no, 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 no. It's perfect right now. You know, right now is the right time. So that's that's brilliant. Um, awesome. So so in terms of uh, sort of the journey and this kind of mindset that you have now developed through years of experience, is there anything that you have done that's kind of um, a apart from just experience that has given you this kind of mindset and way of working? It's a weird again, because I can, I can honestly, I can swear to you and I can, I can remember times that I was not this version of me. I can remember times that if you'd said I needed to walk on stage and say hello to 10 people, I, I would have run a mile, but it's little steps for me. It's little steps that you hardly even notice you're taking yourself, okay? And nowadays, I sometimes go and do a talk at, for Women's Institute, or I'll go and do a talk for um, a speakers association of some kind. And you'll have people in that room who say, I come here every month. I still haven't presented to these people. Okay, how long have you been coming here? About two years. Okay, so you've been here 24 times. You like and know the people around you, but you still haven't stood up in front to start speaking. No, I, I, I'm too nervous. It hasn't been right. The timing's not right for me. I needed this, that, and the other. And something that I love doing in those situations, Jackie, and this is a bit cheeky, okay? You have to have the right attitude, and you have to have the right level of annoyingness to get away with this, okay? Is if I find one of those people that's already in a place that they know they want to do this anyway... I'll normally just walk towards them and go to shake their hand. And I'll say, thank you very much for admitting that. That helps. And then when I shake their hand, I actually lift them up a bit and I bring them up towards me and I say, we're just going to have a chat about this. And I bring them onto the stage area, but I concentrate on talking with them. So they hardly even notice they actually moved and they're now just talking with me. And then what I do is I say, well, tell me your hobbies. Tell me some things you love doing. And this one guy, I can remember this guy, it was over in Portsmouth, it was it was just beautiful. This one guy said, 
boating, sailing. I love sailing. Brilliant. Tell me something about sailing because I've never done it and I live on the South Coast. I should understand sailing. Tell me something about sailing that enthuses you, that gets you excited, that makes you want to talk about it more. And he goes, oh, there's nothing like it. When you, when you get out on the water and then you get the sail there and you do this and he started going technical on me and he started talking about But you saw the enthusiasm start to come up and he started to, he's not doing a speech now. He's just talking about something he loves. Mm. And as you see that moment of excitement, enthusiasm, I start to step back a bit and I start to move into the middle of the audience. So he's still doing eye contact with me, but he's talking above the seated audience. And I go, brilliant. Have you got your own boat? Have you got your own, what have you? And then he starts talking about the boat that he owns and where he launches it from and how he does. And I'm moving further and further back. And every so often, if it's a bit hard to hear him, I'll just go, can you just speak up a bit? And he'll, he'll get louder. And he starts talking. And then after about five minutes, I go, you do realise you, you've just done the best presentation ever on sailing in Portsmouth Harbour. And then he kind of stops and looks around and he goes, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the audience gave him a round of applause. It's, I don't think we actually have a fear of speaking. No. We can all speak. I, I think we have a fear of the unknown. Um, and taking that away from his head, yeah, it just it, and and that was that was possibly four years ago that one, and I know that he now does talks for fifteen twenty minutes at business clubs. Yeah, and and it's, all it, it took. Yeah, and no, that's that's brilliant. That is brilliant, and uh, you know that's that's kind of what I I used to do in my drama classes with people is is to kind of just encourage them and you know just get up and talk about what you love or talk about what you hate but you know it just just talk and that's that's really all it is and that's why stories are so important you know people get so they're doing a presentation they get so wrapped up in the data or the information that they need to deliver is that they forget that actually people are not going to go away and remember that stat they're going to go away and remember the story behind that stat you know yeah. And yeah. I, I had it as well when I went to um, uh, to work with a guy in corporate and he was a finance man and they were doing a presentation and he sat there for 20 minutes before we got started. Just, you know, we were waiting for other people to arrive. He was so excited about what he'd done for the business and, and everything else and, you know, how fantastic it was and how they were now making this, blah, blah, blah. And then literally he the, they put the slides on and they started their presentation and the enthusiasm just went... Argh because he started delivering the data and and i said no no no, stop what happened to the guy that was just sat here excited telling me how fantastic it all you know how you know what a difference he'd made um and it's just that you suddenly think that you should perform in a certain way and that's what scares people because they they worry that they're not going to do it right there's a fear in in that that they're they're going to let somebody down themselves probably and it is funny, isn't it? I sometimes, sometimes I'll get asked to host an awards or or to be part of a something, and you'll see the person get up and they've got their piece of paper and they almost want to hide behind that A4 bit mm. of paper and just read it and hope the microphone picks it up. And I'll look at the bit of paper and I'll go, "Oh, can I can I borrow that?" And they go, "Yeah." And I go, "Okay, right. I'll highlight this bit and this bit and this bit, and I'm going to take my own bit of paper and I'm going to make a couple of notes and I'm going to ask you questions around that." And they go, what? And I go, so what we'll do, instead of you just stand there and read that, 
we'll turn it into an interview style. Because then what, what I've really done is I take their focus away from the five or 600 people that are sat in chairs in front of them. And now we rearrange the stage slightly so that they've got their space. I've got my space and I can literally go, Dave, Dave, it's lovely for you to meet you, mate. Thank you so much for coming up. Can you just tell us about this bit in this? Uh, what happened there and how did your team deal with it? And he, he just goes, yeah, Paul, I can talk about that. And I and he, he knows because I've highlighted the bit that I'm going to ask him about. Yeah. The funny thing is, when you do that for people, most of the time they don't even look at their notes. No, and, and, and people don't. They don't need to. All that information is it's in their heads. It's in there. It is absolutely. And then, you know, if you, if you put a piece of paper in front, if, you, if they write it all down, then they are so bound to say the words that they have written that they forget to tell the story and actually yeah. engage with the audience. They forget the audience is there because, as you say, they're hiding behind a bit of paper. Yeah. Yeah. Throw it away. We're not ending here, just taking a quick break. And we'll be back very soon after we hear from our friend, fellow podcaster and master of verbal communication, Andrew Thorpe. We're all in the persuasion business, whether that's pitching to a potential client, selling ourselves in a job interview, or convincing a teenager to tidy their room. How we frame our message and how we deliver it makes all the difference. And this is the theme of my podcast, Leaning Forward. I'm Andrew Thorpe. I'm a speaker, a trainer, and a storyteller. And I'd love you to tune in to our latest episode. I mean, we had a conversation when I came onto your lovely podcast, which we'll get onto a bit later, um, about the the fact this kind of you know walking into a room with just with bullet points almost is just because yeah. we're so you know, we are so knowledgeable, we hold so much information in our heads, but we just almost need permission to deliver it as ourselves, you know, just so speak true. words, um, yeah. and if it's just bullet points, just notes, as you you know, you don't need a script, don't. Don't do no, this. No, and, and you're right. We did talk about this. I, whenever I get on stage now, um, one of two things will happen. I'll either think of it as in my head, I've got Lego bricks and I've got red bricks that are stories and blue bricks that are, that are magic tricks. Okay. And it's as simple as that. And I know that I've got a collection of 20 good red bricks and 20 good blue bricks and I need to find from the audience which ones of those will work. And I eventually build a little wall that makes a little pyramid shape, ending to the one at the top that is the ender for that session and that will make everyone go, what the hell just happened? And then I leave the stage. Or I'll have a sheet of A4 paper with a line down the middle and it'll have exactly the same, but just on left side stories, right side tricks, and a list of the things I think will work for yeah. this audience. Um, and that gives me my, and I know we, I can't remember if we talk about this on the show, if we talk about this privately, but I always try and make a break every five to seven minutes to bring people back into what you're doing. And I'll use the bricks or the piece of paper as my excuse for that. So I'll literally have that on the lectern. I can finish a story and then I can go, oh, that was a bit sensible. That was a bit scary. That one. I know what. I'll go pick a trick and I'll, and, and you get back those people because our mm. attention span is only about seven minutes long. Right. 
and I want an excuse to reignite your attention every five to seven minutes. Yeah. Um, and so that little prop that I use helps me create a reason and an excuse to re-engage everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look at me giving away all my tricks. <laughs> well, you know, we all have them. We all have them. And yeah. I think I learned uh, something very similar when I was teaching kids. Because if you've got, you know, 30 seven-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 14-year-olds, if you give them two seconds where where they're not engaged, they will run rings around you. So, yeah. you know, I always have, you know, just lists and lists of stuff. And you kind of go, well, what mood are they in? I mean, I can, I can plan a lesson, but it's never going to turn out the way I've planned it. But if you've got enough tools in your box, it, you know, if there's enough stuff on the list, you're going you're gonna to make a, a, a class a talk, a presentation that the audience are going to engage with because you've, it's almost you've bespoked it. This is it. But, you know, to, to me, that shows a massive level of understanding from your point. A creative mind who knows that you cannot write this 100%. God, no. It just won't work. No matter what, no matter how interesting you or I think we are, you cannot, especially when there's kids involved, you cannot write it 100%. Because at points they're going to take over, throw you a massive curveball that you never saw come in. And if you're the type of person that goes, but I need to stick to my script 100%, you're going to lose it. Going to lose it, absolutely. Absolutely. And adults are as bad. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so tell me how, how the, the, the step from actor... Uh, I mean, you were a panto cow, I hear. <laughs> yeah. were, you, were you the front or the back? Um, I, I, I was the back. That was that was interesting. You had others. Yeah. Um, so when I was a struggling actor, like I said, I'd learned how to be a technician as well. So I'd get hired as a technician that also had acting ability. So wasn't scared of walking on stage if needed to. So um, whenever a, a, the main actor needed something passed to them on stage, it was always me that was asked because all of the other technicians liked being hidden in black clothes and staying in the shadows. Um, if something happened and somebody needed just to walk on stage, even sometimes to help with an accident or to, you know, put a pyro out that caught fire or something, you'd just see the stage manager go, Paul, get it. And I'd just walk out, put it out, wave to the audience, walk back. Didn't care. Um, but yeah, that then also meant that if, if you were doing panto and the, dressed character actors couldn't do something then paul would jump into a costume and help out um the funniest one on that was we had a comedian in panto who's brilliant and he could take a laugh and he was one of those people that you could throw anything at him and he'd make it funny <clears throat> he had this bit in the show where the theater had a mascot of a bear that would walk on every night and hand him a bucket and he'd pull out a raffle drawer and he would normally be mildly abusive to whoever was in the bear costume. And it was always one of the little dancers that was in the bear costume and walked the bucket out. So this, this one day, all of the dancers turned around to me and went, Paul, would you be the bear and just, just do something? Just scare him a little bit. And I'm like, if I can fit in the costume, yeah. And it was so good, Jackie, because he's used to this bear coming out and being about five foot three, because it was always one of the little dancers. 
And on this day, me in this bear costume and the head being bigger than my head as well, he's, he started doing his bit. He's looking at the audience and he went, and now it's time for Becky Bear. And he looked stage right and he's just seen the head at about six or five. <laughs> and he's just looked up a bit and just gone, oh, no. <laughs> and, and he's gone, hey, hey, Becky, how are you? And I gave him a little cuddle. And, and then he's going, Becky? you seem a bit stronger today than normal are you okay so then i gave him another cuddle and lifted him up to, so that he's now like about you know three foot off the floor and, and he's just looking at the audience going becky's never been this friendly before boys <laughs> and girls <laughs> and I put him back down patted him on the head and walked off and at the end of that one when he came off for that scene he's looking at all of the crew and all of the male actors going which one of you was it which one of you? Because that was funny as, and if you want to do it again, I'm up for it. But it, it was one of those things that we knew we could get away with it because he was really good at what he did. Yeah. And yeah. as soon as he saw Becky being a foot taller than normal, he just went, don't know what I'm in for now, but this is going to be fun. Yeah. You can get away with that in panto. My I, my yeah. sister my sister was a dancer. She did a lot of panto, um, and yeah, the stories. But you know, I worked at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and if you did that on stage at the Royal Shakespeare Company, you don't want to uh, you want to do that. Yes, I, could, uh, I can remember people getting very angry if somebody tried to corpse them or you know do anything like that. Yeah, it's, it's but it's you're right. It's panto. We're yeah. allowed to have fun in panto. Yeah, absolutely, and the audience expect it. Yeah. Now, there were some celebrity actors that I remember from Panto time that if you even took them mildly off script, they'd get so lost. Yes. The, 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 within the team, you kind of went, right, don't do it to, uh, I'm going to make up a name now, I won't say, don't do it to Andy, because Andy cannot handle that and the show will go wrong. We're not making a show go wrong for an audience. But the girl who's playing the female lead she's up for this and she's a comedian and she can handle it and she's used to just doing yeah. everything on the spur in a moment. We can have fun with that one. Okay, yeah. Um, and, and it worked. It yeah. just worked. Um, if you've got a whole team that just want to make the whole audience laugh and have the best time ever, it'll work. Yes. I mean, and this is why I think everybody should have a go at improv because even, oh, if, yeah. you, even if, you, if you know how to improvise, and we all do because we're doing it right now, if you know how to improvise as an actor, then actually it, it, it really helps when you've got a script. Because if something happens, then you don't get thrown. You just carry on. Yeah. And actually doing Panto, I've probably done, I've probably worked on 25, maybe 30 different professional Panto productions. Um, but you could always tell the actors that were straight actors in their normal job and we're used to having a script and they would have to film, say, five minutes maximum. Then they'd forget that script and move on to the next bit. Yeah. Because for those guys, having to learn one and a half to two hours of full show and remember all of it, it, it was tough work for them. Yeah. Um, and they were very often the ones that you'd go, don't take them off script, especially yeah. not in week one. Leave them alone in week one. <laughs> we'll see how they do in week two. Yeah. Um, oh, mate, so many happy memories from doing silly things like that. I'm still yeah. friends with most of the people that I was technician with 20-odd yeah. years ago. Um, yeah. Loved it. 
Yeah, no, I I literally walked into a theatre and, and thought, gosh, this I mean, I am at home. This is this is where I belong. This is where I belong. So t- tell me about the transition into keynote, because certainly that's a transition I'd quite <coughs> like to make into sort of, you know, standing and sharing whatever it is that you are able to give an audience, really be able to share something yeah. with them. So so when when did that happen for you? So really it so I've been part of networking groups for a while. And uh, and I'll be blatantly honest. I'm not a cheap magician. I know that you can hire other magicians that are, that are how can I put this nicely more cost effective. Okay. Um, so I've been doing networking groups for a while, and a few of them said, "Paul, can you just do a little talk about you know how you find business, how you find work, how you justify your prices, how you do this, how you do yeah, of course, again, that doesn't worry me at all because I've been on stage doing magic tricks for years." Then when I did that military gig that I told you about, where I scared the bejesus out of this officer, and he pointed out what I could do in the security world, that gig was up in Leeds in the UK. And I live on the south coast. So I've now got something like a four or five hour drive home, where all that's going through my head is cybersecurity. People need my help. This guy who really knows his stuff has just pointed out to me that nobody listens to IT, nobody listens to the technicians, nobody listens to the professionals in this industry. But would they listen to a magician who bounces around like an idiot and steals stuff from the room? I'll have a think. Um, Got home, went to bed that night. Next day, I pinged my mate Jesse, who you've met because he's part of Noon's Nuggets. Pinged him a message saying... "Um, can I have a chat with I just want to block out an hour of your time when I have a chat with you about an idea. <clears throat> and he said, yeah, yeah, what's up? And I said, no, I just I want to explain it to you in person. We'll go through it then because I want to see your reaction to this. Now, Jesse is a marketing manager for a proper normal company. Um, he's also ex-military. So for me, he's the perfect person to sound this out with because he already worked in marketing in the IT industry. And ex-military, he'll know where that guy was coming from. So I went in to his house, had my laptop with me, said, look, this is the idea. A mind reader that steals personal and private information whilst delivering talks as a keynote speaker. What I want, Jesse, is I want you to tell me this is a stupid idea, it won't work, and I should leave it alone and carry on with the professional magician stuff. What he said was, that's brilliant. That could absolutely revolutionize the cyber security world. You could help lots of people with this. I can see this being really successful. And that was it. We then really said, okay, we need to start doing talks on this. We need to check if this works. And I started offering talks to lots of networking organizations. Ended up pretty much doing a tour of the UK of for networking. Um, and if you, if nobody knows for networking, there's normally about 20 to 30 people in the room, all small business owners who want to talk to each other and help each other grow. And they always do a 20-minute talk from one of the members. So I said to them, look, I'll do a few round Hampshire. They went really well. Very quickly, I got asked if I would go to Dorset, if I could go to London, if I'd go to Somerset. If I'd... So I literally did a tour of the south of the UK of four networking groups just to find out if this had any basis in reality, if this could go well. From doing that tour, 
it gave me more confidence. I could learn which stories worked. I could learn which tricks worked well, which ones impacted the story and made people think. Great way to do it. Okay, great way to start because you're seeing a real audience and they're giving you real feedback. From doing that tour, I then had people saying, oh, I've got a bigger event over here. Could you do this? Uh, an events company in Somerset. Oh, we're doing a business show for the whole of Somerset. Could you deliver that talk for us? But it's not 20 minutes now. I need you for 40 minutes and I need you to do this. And I, need you to... And it, it, I then started doing some freebies for bigger business shows all around the south of the UK. Um, it was working. It was working really well. We're now a year into this and I'm getting offered keynote talks that are paid very well. Um, you know, four figures. And and this is what and me and Jesse are just going, this is brilliant, this is working. <clears throat> I did a talk in March 2020, and it was the biggest business audience we'd hit. It was the fee that was right for the amount of help we're giving companies. And we did this talk, got a stand innovation at the end of it. A queue of people asking questions and I'm literally telling these people who to go to for help and passing on IT contacts and passing on security people's contacts and getting them loads of work and it, it just worked. Me and Jesse packed up the kit, went to my car, sat down in the car and just looked at each other and we swore a lot and we just went, this is it. We've absolutely nailed this and this is going to get huge. It was then a week later that the government said we are now not allowed in a room with more than 30 people. Mm. So it wiped out both of my businesses. The magic stuff, you think about it, every party, every stage show, gone. The speaking stuff, every single one, gone. Um, and I can remember people saying, oh, it's only going to be a few weeks. You know, then it'll be back to normal. And I looked at what was happening in other countries where the pandemic had already hit, and I'm like, they're months into this. This is not going to be a couple of weeks. So I went from mental theft was flying and absolutely taking the country by storm to you're not allowed to do the thing you absolutely love. And that was that was tough, mate. That was weird. Hmm. Um, so that in 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 what a couple of minutes, that's the story of mental theft really beginning, growing, hitting a point where it's made this massive snowball and it's going to just keep going, to it stopped. Um, and I thought that was it. I, I honestly thought I'm going to be a, a, a van driver or something because I, this isn't going to rebuild. Um, I was gutted. I was absolutely at my lowest for about two months, I think. In that time, I... I stopped doing anything productive. Weirdly, about two months into it, I did some gardening and I built a table for our garden. Jesse saw the picture of the table on Facebook and he called me up and he went, you ready now? And I was like, what are you about? Now, he'd been in constant contact. Like every few days we would chat about things. And he was always keeping an eye on me because I think he knew what I was going through. But when I built that table, he went, awesome, you ready? And I was like, what are you I don't, I don't understand, mate. And he said, Paul, it's getting worse. People need your help more now than they did before the pandemic here. Cybersecurity is going nuts. People are now working from home everywhere. They're less protected than they ever were. 
and the one person that I know that could really help them is hidden in his house. Let's write the book that we've been talking about and you've been moaning you don't have time to do it. And I was like, but mate, I've got no money, I've got no income, I can't, I can't afford to launch a book. And he's like, that's a different problem. Let's just write it. Let's, let's get it written. And we got to, I think, I'll be nice to us and say we got the book to about 80% complete. Then I had a real strop because there's no way I could launch this book. And he said, oh, we'll do a crowdfunder. And I'm like, don't be stupid. Crowdfunder won't work. Nobody's going to give money to a magician who now talks about cyber. It's not going to work. One of my other friends, I have now found out who it was. And whenever she sees me, I do give her the biggest cuddle in the world. But I could also throw so many things at her for this. She contacted a crowdfunder company and told them all about my project. They then contacted me and said, if you do this crowdfunder through us, there will be no fees. Now, normally crowdfunders charge between 5 and 20% of whatever yeah. you raise. Um, and I said, but what do you mean no fees? And they said, seriously, no fees. You will pay us nothing. You will not even pay the credit card processing fees. So I'm now looking at this and going, well, if I say no to that, I'm the stupidest <laughs> business owner in the world. Um, I don't think it will work, but I've got to say yes. So what was it? We needed £2,000 to launch the book. I wanted £4,000 to launch it in a way that I'd be proud of. We ended up raising nearly £7,000. Wow. And it kicked me up the backside. Yeah. And then after the, the book launched, it hit bestseller lists in, in various places. Um, Amazon, so it went on Amazon December 2020. And Amazon have different sections of bestseller lists. So there's one for security. Oh, look at that. Nice timing. <laughs> um, that, that's my cover. It still drives me nuts, that cover, because that's my eyes. And Jesse did yeah. really I have to say, for those of you that are listening to this, <coughs> I have just put the cover of Mental Theft. Your mind is the weakest link on the screen. So, yeah, go and check it out. And even now, I feel that proud rush of, of something in my body, because I still can't believe we did it. Um, but yeah, the book launched, did really well, paid my mortgage, to be honest with you. Wow. It helped us stay in our house that I thought we were going to lose during the pandemic. Um, and then I started getting asked if I'd do speaking online. And I was like, that, I don't know if I can do that. Can I do that? Will that work? And I started testing some ideas of what I could do online. And, and the blatant answer is, yeah, I'm, I managed to do some talks that were informative and fun and scary and magical online all around the world. I did talks in Australia and America and UK and uh, one went out and I don't know all of the countries that were involved for one of them because I was literally just invited into Zoom and then I was explained that I had the branch manager and assistant branch manager of every store for this company worldwide and all of a sudden you're looking at such a mix of creed and color and age and sex and type and and at the end of it i got feedback like it's the best speaker we've ever seen brilliant yeah so and and now you're, never... back, now you're back in a room so now you are yeah. back traveling with live people yeah, um, last week I was at Accountex UK, 
Uh, last week I was also at SITS, which was in London Excel. Uh, two weeks' time I'm doing uh, the what is it? IT support summary uh, summit, sorry, and that's in Canary Wharf. I'm off to Manchester for something else, and I'm just kind of looking around at the moment, Jackie, and going, do you know what? If I was that scared kid, if that scared little kid had not had a something that pushed him, what would I be doing? You know, what 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 do you think that that push was? I mean, was it getting into a youth theatre or? Yeah, it was a it was a massive mix of some amazing people who, and the youth theatres. I mean, I'm still in touch with a load of the directors from when I was in youth theatres. Um, from the Beck Theatre, I've got friends that... Well, actually, that's a good example. Suzette was tech manager for the Beck Theatre in West London when I, when I was there as a kid in a youth theatre. She then employed me as a technician in that theatre to the point that she was at my wedding 10 years ago. That's how important some of these people have turned out for me. Yeah. 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 It's, having, it's having that support that sort of network, people that believe in you or people would just give you a chance, give you permission just to, you know, play, explore, experiment, just be yourself. Yeah. And I know even now, right, I, I'll do something on Twitch or on Zoom or I'll go somewhere and do a keynote talk with and you'll see a photo of me with massive audience and and it helps my ego so much. Don't get me mm. wrong, okay? It gives me that moment of, yeah, did it. But I know that one of those people that have known me since I was a kid will send me something that's the right side of abusive and funny <laughs> and sarcastic. And I know that I'm never going to be allowed to be one of those absolute divas. Yeah. Because my mates will always just keep going, prod, you're still yeah. one of us. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but you're, you're, you're not only doing the cyber talks the mental theft talks you, you're back doing magician stuff tell us about uh, hangar farm and the yeah, minster I, trust I, so they're they're in in both of our hearts the minster trust yeah i love the minster trust i love what they do please do go and have a look at them look at the minster trust and look at hangar farm art center um they they help people with learning disabilities they help people with a do you know what i i hate the way to talk about this but they help people that sometimes get overlooked. And you go to Hangar Farm Arts Centre, some of the people that work in there and are running it are the most lovely people you would ever meet, and they're amazing at their jobs. But unfortunately, most of the businesses in the world overlook these people. Now, I was asked if I would put on a stage show for at Hangar Farm, um, I believe it's September the 18th. Go look at their website. Just in their website search thing, just put Paul Newton and you'll find the show. We're doing one at four o'clock and one at about 7.30. Um, and yeah, it's going to be me. I'm going to be telling some stories. I'm going to be doing some magic. I'm going to be having some fun. Please do not expect both of the shows to be exactly the same because I don't write a script. I'm going to do exactly what I've said today, which is it's going to be about Lego bricks and how I build the shows while I'm on stage. And do you know what? If the people from there all walk out smiling a bit more, laughing a bit more, and just having that moment of, how do you get away with that? Yeah. Then I'm happy. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I will put all of those links in in show notes after this because it's well worth Thank it. You. I booked my tickets, so I'm going to be there. Well, have you seen how disgustingly extortionate the prices are? Oh, I know, outrageous. But you're worth the, it. Yeah, the most expensive one is fifteen pound. Yeah. And this is another bugbear of mine. I, I don't like when you look at a show that you really want to see and the tickets are 85 quid. I, no, no, no. So 15 pound. If you buy a family ticket for four, it's even cheaper. There you yeah. go. No, it'd be well worth it. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, just before I let you go, because we have been talking for hours. Um, so just very quickly, I do want to mention the podcast. Is the podcast, here we go, Newton's Nuggets. Ah, my little cartoon dude. Thank you. Uh, looks just like you. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Uh, and yeah, let's let's throw that one in as well, just so we get to. Uh, oh, look, it's me. Look at that. I had a lovely guest on my show a couple of weeks Yay. ago called Jackie Goddard. She was yes. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go and check that out. So the podcast. When did that start, and why? And I know you do that with Jesse. So obviously, it's a, a bit of a, a double act you've got going on there. Yeah. That started, so before before it turned into the interview show, it was literally me just pointing the camera at myself. And I, it was called Newton's Nuggets because I just gave a one nugget of information to try and help the people that know me. And then when the lockdown happened, and, and I went into Grumpy Pool for a few months, um, or a couple of months, I turned around to Jesse, or Jesse, we were having a chat about nuggets, and I said, look, there's... There's a load of really interesting people that I know, and they're in my network, that I'm sure they'd jump onto a Zoom call with me for half an hour. We could interview them about themselves and what they do and how they got there, and, and can we possibly inspire other people to do the same? And can we get them to give a nugget of information at the end of every show as well? And this could help people without it costing them a penny. And... You know, and the book's launching and we've got some money from that and we could use that. To, and some of the big companies that have sponsored the book, we could give them some freebie advertising within the show. And and we just went, yeah, let's try it. And the first show we did um, was actually the buddy that I hinted to earlier who went for the audition and didn't get the part because his nose was broken. And then they made a fake nose on the bird. It was just nuts. But he's, he's a Hollywood stuntman, and he's a magician, and he's one of the nicest folks you'd ever meet. And he's been on Britain's Got Talent and got down to the finalists of that, being a stuntman magician. And I turned around to some of these people and said, would you come onto this show that's unknown and has no followers, no listeners, nothing so far? And everyone that I asked said yes. And I remember sitting there going, maybe this is a good idea then. I've got some really clever people jump in to be on this show and I really mm. like them and we did it we recorded like six of them and launched it and then it just started getting a following and it started getting more and more people applying to be on the show and I'm like are you seeing the quality of the people that want to be on this little show that we're telling everyone has no followers and no listeners um and we still make a joke of it now I mean we're now two years and a few weeks in and me and Jesse still joke about it because I freak out a bit too much if I look at how many people actually download the show, okay? I don't tell anyone the numbers because I don't want to admit it in my own head. So we make a joke of, I think Jesse's now pushed me to eight. I admit that eight people might listen to the show, and I'm good <laughs> with that, okay? It's a nice little audience. I can handle talking to them. That's fine. 
But yeah, Nuggets has just kind of taken on a life and a business Brilliant. of its own. Yeah. Um, we, we get sponsors for the show and they pass a bit of money so I can keep paying the electric bills. Um, and sometimes we'll give an advert out to a cause or a person that we think is worthy and they should be in front of other businesses. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really... Even the little cartoon dude that you just put up on the screen a minute ago, he was drawn by an artist called Simon Clemens who does graphic design. Thank you. Perfect. Um, and he's brilliant. And he gave us little poorly free of charge because he loves the show. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, uh, you just can't. People like that are just amazing. Jack. Yeah. So you're not going to tell me how many numbers they are for, you know, for, for people that listen to, to me no. and you talk. No? No. no, well, no. I can tell you that I've got, I've got at least three. Three. So, that's a nice yeah, number. That's a nice number. I that's like it. that number. That's my mum, dad, and my sister, basically. Oh, <laughs> oh, D Jackie, I've got to let you in something then. It's it's four, you know, because there's me oh. as well. Oh, well, there you go. Brilliant. Yay! So, okay. go, please subscribe. What do they say? Hit the bell or something. Hit the bell. Hit the, hit the YouTube. Hit the yeah. bell. You know. You want yeah. To. Hit the hit the bell. Um, right. So before you go, let where can people find you? Uh, oh, I'm easy to find. Uh, you've either got paul-newton.co.uk. That's all the magic-y stuff. You've got me on LinkedIn. That's there. There's LinkedIn. Um, and mental theft as one word. Just type yeah. mental theft anywhere and you'll find me. So, yeah, paul-newton.co.uk or uh, mental theft, all one word, .co.uk. Or if you want to connect with Paul on LinkedIn, you can do it there. And if actually, can I say, if you do connect to me on LinkedIn please put a message in it saying where you met me or heard me and I'll accept it. Because I'm dealing in cybersecurity, I get a lot of random accounts that ah. I just have to ignore. Well, do you know, that's that's made me think I shouldn't, I should ask people if I can put their LinkedIn up. Sorry about that. I'll take no, it down. No, no, immediately. That's fine. People are allowed to follow it. I'm just a bit more wary about connecting to people. Yes. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. There are some, some strange people out there. And um, thank you so much, Paul, for today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And it's so interesting. The, the whole journey from, from Paul Daniel's magic set through to keynote speaking and cyberspace. It's just, it's, yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? If, you know, I look back at the last few years and just think, what just happened? Yeah. Um, and fingers crossed, it's going to keep going. Yes, yes. And, uh, yeah, I will I will put this out and put all the links in there. So thank you very much, Paul. Have a, Enjoy you. the rest of your week. Yeah, it's sunny. I'm going to go have a nice cup of tea. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, then please leave a five-star review on whichever platform you're on. And if you'd like to receive information about future guests or would like to know more about Power to Speak coaching, then sign up for our fortnightly newsletter at powertospeak.co.uk. And remember, if you, like all of us, are in the persuasion business and need inspiration or tips on the art of verbal communication, then tune in to Leaning Forward with our friend Andrew Thorpe. Find Leaning Forward on your favourite podcast platform. Bye for now.